he's gonna save me. Oh, yes! We're back with another episode of Rockstar Violinist, the podcast from Electric Violin Shop that brings you the awesomest string players alive. I'm your host, Matt Bell. Today we've got an episode that has been a couple of years in the making. Cassandra and I have been friends for years, but for reasons you'll hear about soon, we've been unable to get in the same state with each other for long enough to sit down and chat for y'all. And when I say Cassandra, I can only mean Cassandra Sotos, the Nashville-based violinist who's performed all over the world on stages that would literally take your breath away. She's not only a world-renowned touring artist, she's also a highly sought studio player. Right now, you're listening to Tony Harnell and the Wildflowers with Cassandra on violin. Let's get right into my chat with Cassandra Sotos, rock star violinist. So I'm sitting here with Cassandra Sotos, which is awesome. <laughs> and we're at, we're at Ross Holmes' house. Which is down the street from my house. Yeah, only in Nashville. In Nashville. Only in Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just talking about some people that we both know and that um, they're also fiddle players. It was like, yeah, I know them, sort of, but we never get to hang out because yeah. how often is there more than one fiddle player no. on a game? Yeah, there's like all these people that I'm like, yeah, I know them. We're like acquaintances. I consider them like good friends. You know, I could call them anytime, but I literally never see them. <laughs> We're always playing at the same time. Right. Always on a gig. Separate gigs. Always. <laughs> yeah. Or, or they're in, you know, they're in Vegas that day and you're in Mumbai. <laughs> yeah, that's another problem. <laughs> The whole, like, co- the whole continent thing. <laughs> like, literally, we could not be any further away from like, each other. Yeah, right that's true. That's true. For sure. Yeah, I like pl- I like playing with other violinists. It's really fun. Um, but it just doesn't happen that often. Right. The world needs more of these, you know, maybe maybe guitar-based drums. But four fiddles. Four? I know. Okay, I'm, I don't know. I max out at kind of probably like three. <laughs> I max out at three. That's my personal preference, but... That's okay. If you got more than two, some of y'all are going to need some extra strings. <laughs> yeah, def- that's for sure. That's definitely for sure. If you've got your seven-string Viper with you, you can handle three or four of them. Yeah. But um, mm, three or four just fiddles? I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Y'all better have you act Sounds like the devil's orchestration to me. <laughs> so most of the picture, you've got a seven-string Viper. I do. But most of the stuff I've seen of you lately has been on your acoustic. That's true. That is true. Um, I don't get to play my Viper as often as as I would like. Um, But, I mean, I love the gigs that I do with my acoustic violin. I consider them different instruments. Sure. Just, like, totally different scenario, totally different uh, application. And, you know, I've been on tour for, like, um, a year and a half to two years now. And it was what, what that tour called for was the acoustic violin. So, you know, that's what I, that's what I ended up doing more. Right. That tour was not just like some little thing (laughs) where maybe we go from Nashville over to to Lexington and back. (laughs) No, no, it's a little bit further than that. Yeah. Tell, uh, tell everybody about the tour if they don't know. So, um, uh, in December, 2017, I started touring with, uh, India's biggest pop star, biggest Bollywood star named Arajit Singh. Um, and since then I have had the honor and privilege to continue playing with him. It's been, I guess, about a year and a half, and he can play all over the world. So uh, it's been quite the adventure. It's a incredible band. 
he is a Bollywood star, but he fashioned a band around him that includes uh, 11 world musicians, in addition to his core rock pop band. Um, and with them, I got to be the American fiddle player. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So was that a role that you like had to study for for a long time, or was it something that you just... Well, <laughs> I got on Google, and I was like, what is an American fiddle player? What does that mean? <laughs> and then I found a bunch of pictures of myself, so I figured I should accept the gig. <laughs> it's not like the stock photo thing where yeah. holding it backwards. Or oh, God. I know, right? Yeah, it was ama- it's been amazing. It's been the most incredible, life-changing experience of, uh, of my life, I think. Definitely... Definitely top uh, five pivotal moments in my time on Earth, for sure. And it's crazy because we get so Americentric here oh in my the U.S. Gosh. that we think that the, the biggest star here is the biggest star that in there the world. is. Yeah. And India's got like three or four times the population yeah, that the U.S. does. Totally. And uh, so, yeah, tell us who he is and what he's about, and why on Earth have we not heard of him here? Right. So, uh, the Bollywood music industry is very different than the. Uh, mainstream music industry that we're used to in the U.S. Um, the way that pop music is created and distribu- distributed in India is through the film industry. So it's all about Bollywood films. Bollywood music is all about Bollywood films. And that's their pop stars, that's their pop music. And in fact, anything, anything that's not related to the Bollywood film industry, they call independent music. Now, us, we would say that means they're not on a label, it means they're not mainstream pop, whatever. It just means not film. So, like, I don't know, 80% of the music industry there is born out of the film industry, and they kind of prop each other up. So the songs propel the the films. The films propel the songs and the stars. So Arjeet is a, what they call a playback singer. Every Bollywood movie has an entire soundtrack, and they're singing, like, not just a soundtrack in in the way that we expect it. Like, literally, the actors are singing in the movies. Like, it's like a musical every time. And the actor is pantomiming all of the the singing scenes. The playback singers are the pop stars in India. Oh, okay. That's what Arajit does. He's, like, as famous as the stars of the movie. Okay. So it's not just like some unknown uh, behind-the-curtain singer thing. It's uh, totally like alongside the films. Okay. Having his name on a film will make it successful. Wow. Yeah. And so you got to go to India to, to work with him, and of course you guys didn't just play India. Because no. Bollywood is, is not just an Indian thing. No, you will find Indian people... Literally everywhere. I've heard people say, my my Indian friends in the band were talking to them like, wow, there's like significant Indian populations everywhere. And they're like, yeah, whenever we finally make it to Mars, you will find an Indian person. <laughs> like they're everywhere, man. And they, uh, what's really cool about it is that uh, all over the world, they're still very connected to their culture. They're still watching Bollywood movies. They're still fans of this music. So because of that, Anywhere in the world that there is a significant Indian population, Arajit can tour. And some and other Bollywood stars too. It's really cool. So I got to go uh all over India. I was actually staying in India for about I don't know, four or five months, uh four months, four or five months the first time and, and then I went back and forth like six times for from in one year. 
And then I also toured in the Middle East with him. We did Europe, uh, Canada, and a very successful U.S. tour most recently. Did you guys do some dates in Africa? Too? Oh, yeah, we did Africa, I think too. I was talking to you on that tour. We did that Africa. you were having all kinds of, like, insane adventures on that tour. Oh, yeah. I forgot about Africa. Was, we did Africa. <laughs> so <laughs> you, you blocked that part out because of the no, travel. Oh, it was crazy. Crazy travel. I, I mean, before I, before I got this tour, I had never flown internationally by myself. And then now it's just like I live on airplanes. <laughs> yeah, you got on the like international thing. flights. I know I got my my little trademark thing or whatever. I think everybody's doing that. <laughs> like everybody is doing that. Now. I love it when people send it to me and I repost. It makes me just like just tickles me. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys don't know, you need to know. Uh, you need to follow Cassandra Sotos on Instagram. And uh, Do it. <laughs> every time she gets on an airplane, which is like once a week, she's, she, you know, she'll do the selfie thing where she's sort of, her hand is shooting from one side, diagonally up on wheels the other up. way. Wheels up. Taking off. I think every, I, I started doing it and then I started, people are sending me yeah. messages on that. You all, you all need to send them to me. I'll repost them. I love it. It's one of my favorite little things <laughs> on Instagram. So what, how did you start doing that? You know, I, a friend, I saw a friend of mine do it once. And he doesn't. He didn't like intend to make it his like his thing thing or whatever. And then I did it, so I can't claim original ownership of it. <laughs> I think David, my friend David, is willing to let me have it at this point because because it's like taken off so much. But I saw him do it, and I, I did it and sent it back to him, and then it started oh, okay. that people started associating it with me. I'm pretty sure David's cool with it. <laughs> I'll give, him a little, I'll give him a little kickback. I'll send, I send it. I tag him sometimes in it. Say thanks, David. So the like all the royalties that come pouring in from that, you're going to have to share with him. Yeah, and like probably, you know, 60 years, I'll have like 25 cents saved up to send to him <laughs> in royalties. Yeah. <laughs> so talk about the, the music of, <clears throat> of the Bollywood thing. Is it anything at all like, we're going to listen to it, to some of it during this interview. We'll play some for you guys, but talk about is it anything like American music at all it is so you know I got asked a lot of questions did you have to learn another did you have to learn all the different alternative scales did you have to uh, like change uh, the way you play in that regard and the answer to that is pretty much no so the basis of the music <clears throat> the arrangement is is a little bit different than the way we do it like they have different sections of songs that come in and out where we normally do like verse, chorus, verse, bridge, like that. It's a little bit different than that. Um, but the basis of it, uh, musically, is pretty much like Western pop. So I didn't have to, you know, alter the way I play for different scales or anything like that. It, it, it's, it's like Western pop. Um, and on top of Western pop, there's all the ethnic instruments. So that's like, that's really what makes it have the flavor that it has. And those ethnic instruments are played in the style that they are originally intended to be played in. So there's that. That right. makes it the style of music that it is for him. Now, what was interesting about this tour is that it was with world musicians, right? So we had 11 people from around the world. There's me, cello, accordion, handpan, uh, uh, didgeridoo, flamenco guitar, bagpipes, flutes, canoon sitar and i might have forgotten somebody but we'll we'll figure out what that was later we can oh, edit classic, that in. classical yeah. yeah we'll edit that in classical percussion and that's the world musicians and 
the intention of that was to not bring a violinist to play the parts that were already in the songs that were like there was stuff obviously there's some of that there are some signature lines that you have to do but the intention of that was to bring flavor from all over the world sure not you know they could just hire whatever violinist sure. to just play the parts for the entire show they wanted everyone he Erdi wanted everyone to bring something to the table from their own and we uh, rearranged most every song to give people solos to showcase musicality and different uh, aspects of the instrumentation and the people so you guys these are these are not like little bars that you guys are playing no <laughs> no you're playing like stadiums yeah it's um in India, it's uh, anywhere from ten to 40,000 people uh, seating venues, outdoor and, and arena, stadium sort of scenarios. And um, in sim same in uh, U.S. And, and Middle East. Uh, sorry, in Europe and the Middle East. And then um, in the U.S., which was like an incredibly successful tour, it was nearly it was nearly sold out, if not sold out the whole time. It was also arenas. So anywhere from like... I guess eight to fifteen, twenty, fifteen thousand people. And and huge production, huge right? video screens oh my and gosh. lights and pyro guys, and the whole mess. Guys, real talk. There's twenty five musicians and singers on stage. There's give or take two hundred inputs to front of house. I'm a front of house guy. That's just blowing my mind. Two hundred. Yeah. I mean, like even my violin has a pickup and a mic on it. Like every there's just we have. A full drum kit, obviously, a full uh, like ethnic percussion section, a full classical percussion section, and then, I mean, all these other instruments. They're they're all mic'd and there's directs, there's mics, there's just, it's eight two hundred. That's insane. That is insane. You know what? Enough talk. Let's listen to uh, <laughs> let's listen to a, to an Arjit Singh song, and you guys can hear sort of what's going on, and then we'll come back and talk a little more about all that.
can't, I watched this video. I can't believe it's me. <laughs> I'm serious. So what was it that you couldn't believe that it was you? It's like, I look so cool. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm not kidding. I want to like post this video and be like, guys, just so you know, I'm like wearing cat socks and trying not to throw up like at the same time. <laughs> like, I know it looks cool, but... Oh my god, I look so cool. India's like look a, like a, a rock billion star. and a half people, right? So yeah. if he's the biggest star in India and they're they're playing this on, on Indian TV, there are potentially hundreds of millions of people watching you. Yeah. Right? Totally. All live. Yeah, uh, yeah. Dude. <laughs> I just like I wanna put that disclaimer when I post like a like a hot, cool video of me playing, I'm like, just so you know. I'm probably wearing cat socks. <laughs> That's awesome. Keep it real, right? You know? Right, exactly. So where do you where do you get the sort of, I guess you've been playing your whole life, but where do you get the confidence to to just whip it out in front of three hundred million people? Well <laughs> when you put it that way, I don't know, you know, I not this isn't this isn't an interesting point that I want to talk about. You know, I have a lot of goals and like mindset goals for the way that I perform and the way that I'd like to perform and and how I approach it. You don't get there every single time. You know, it's like it's an ongoing process. Like but but I know that if I'm really under the wire, like if I'm really really need to do what I want to do, like, whenever I knew we were filming that TV special, I now have the, I have the ability to, like, shut down and super focus and just go for it. I know that if you go into a situation like that with, uh, you know, allowing fear to creep in or a little, just a tiny bit of lack of confidence, it's not going to go well. That's true. It's not. And if you just say, the time is now, girl, you've got this solo, you got to run out there and do it, you got 90 seconds, do it. You better do it right now. And you just, just let it go. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, like I said, not, I, don't, I don't get there every single time, but in <laughs> super critical moments, I have been able to do that, you know, um, and and like that that concert was a, a good example of that that I was happy with my performance and you just got to go it's go time yeah well you talked about um, about the being just ready to step out and do it and yeah. having the confidence to do that <clears throat> um, you are working with a group that um, is working to empower women in this business mm -hmm. right tell us some about that and then maybe even how that working with that group even led you to this job. Yeah. So, um, there's an organization called women in music that's based out of New York. They've been around for about 35 years, thousands of members up there, like really active New York and also an LA chapter. Um, I got involved with that when I moved to New York city, which was about, I guess, nine or 10 years ago, nine years, 10 years ago now, um, as a way to network and, you know, educate myself on the music industry at a time that I knew literally nothing about it, <laughs> meet new people and stuff like that. And it was, uh, so impactful and, uh, such a, a, po a positive part of my life 
that I became really involved and I became really passionate about it. And now, over the last five years, they've been opening chapters up all over the uh, the world, actually. So I'm helping to uh, lead the new Nashville chapter, which has been in been active for, I guess, about a year. We've had, a, you know, there's some behind the scenes. It's been active for for me for about a year, but active publicly since the beginning of the year. Um, and I'm also helping to open a chapter in India, uh, which is special for, uh, you know, a number of ways because I feel obviously very passionate about India and the music industry in India, but also because uh, the way that I got the Arjit Singh tour was uh, through a recommendation that originated through somebody that I met in Women in Music, um, a woman named Nita Raguansi, who was the previously the president of Women in Music when I was a member in New York, who became a personal friend of mine. And now she and I are working to help the women in, in, in India open their own Women in Music chapter. That's fantastic. Um, I, I've always felt, and I, it's not me, it's, it's the, because it's true that women are, are significantly underrepresented in the music business. Oh, for sure. There's no, I mean, there's not an, no argument about that. And so, you know, I think I'm seeing some progress being made. I agree. I totally agree with that. And, and I think a lot of it is due to efforts like, you know, women in music and, and some similar groups that are, that are really trying to go, hey, you ever notice how, like, we're more than 50% of the population, but when you watch music on TV, like... There aren't any girls on stage no, at all, right? I don't know. I don't know exactly. I'm I'm trying to do everything I can to help with that. I don't know exactly where that originates. Uh, you know, psychologically, societal issues. I have sure. no. I don't really know, but I'm just trying to trying to help because uh, there's so many talented people out there, and there's, you know, what I think that we're all just trying to find the way we should all we should all be trying to find the way that we can impact the world in the in the best way on during our time on earth and i know that there's probably a lot more women out there who could be doing that through music if they had the empowerment to do that for sure and and i think the more women that we see on stage the more women are are going to be inspired to go yeah, I, I can do this. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. And, you know, I was lucky because as a kid, I never kind of, I kind of never thought twice about it. I didn't say like, I'm a girl fiddle player. I just, you know, that was just my personal mindset. Not everybody's that lucky. Like maybe they were told at some point when they were younger, oh, like boys play drums. I don't know what people say, but I was lucky that I didn't, I didn't have any you know, negative influences that way. I thought that I could do anything. And, uh, if I felt like I couldn't do something, it definitely wasn't because I was a girl, you know? Um, and I, I just, I hope that that continues for other people. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, and I think it's gonna, it's gonna bring more in different perspectives. Right. For sure. Definitely. And it's going to result in better music and better right. entertainment. Totally, for sure. And, you know, it's like, I, I want to help with this cause. Uh, I want to see more women and more young girls playing instruments, writing songs, and, you know, in business, too, in the music business. 
Women in Music does a lot with that too. So uh, to explain a little bit more about the organization and when it comes to uh, like chap chapter operations, we do events throughout the year that are like networking, educational things, stuff like that. And that's kind of what we do at like the lower level in the cities and stuff and, and like for our members at the higher level, women in music, like uh, executives, global, global women in music, people who are running it are put doing things like putting pressure on labels and conferences to have more women executives, have more women on advisory boards, have more women on panels. So like they're doing that work there. We're doing this work for education and outreach. And it's like we're kind of hitting hitting the issues from all corners, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. At the same time, I'm helping with all of this. I don't want to I don't want to make the issue of being a confident musician about whether you're a girl or not. I don't want to do that. That's not the thing. No, it's not an exclusive thing. I think it's no. it's it's saying that we should be included. Also. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, clearly this is something that you're passionate about. And, and anytime you're passionate about things, that's going to show up in your writing. Yeah. Right? So that's true. You're not just, <laughs> I, I want to say just a side person because I was just a side person for like probably longer than you've been alive. But, um, and, and I don't want to minimize what people do as side people because there's no, some amazingly important side people out there. But I think you're also also branching out into being a solo artist as well. That's correct, sir. So you, uh, <laughs> you've sort of taken some of this passion about women in music and just got a chance to listen to your new single that's going to be coming out. As we're, we're doing this interview in uh, July, <laughs> we're, uh, I'm here for Summer Nam. So this, when this comes out, obviously her single will be ready for all of y'all. But talk a little bit about uh, the writing process, the inspiration, the recording process. Yeah, awesome. I, I love that. So I love this song. Um, yes, yeah, so Matt, you're correct. I have spent my whole career as a side person, but I'll, behind the scenes, I've been working on my skills and with the goal that I wanted to have a solo career, be able to front a band, be able to take my show on the road. I mean, I am so grateful for the experiences that I've had as a side man, side woman, side human. <laughs> side human. <laughs> um, that's like, that is without exception, what has made me like the player and the person that I am. So it's, it's not about like this or that. This is just something that I want to do. Sure. Um, creatively to, to fulfill my, my, uh, creative thirst. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I have a single coming out called Annie Oakley. And if you don't know who Annie Oakley is, <laughs> buy a computer, <laughs> get the internet. <laughs> no, Annie Oakley was, you know, um, one of the most famous sharpshooters in history and all around um, amazing woman. She taught thousands of women how to, how, to, how to shoot, and she performed all over the country, world maybe, yeah. uh, uh, performing, doing uh, specialty marksmanship, and really was like a really strong, empower, empowered woman, just and amazing at what she did more than anything else. She was just good. Right. She just was... The best. She was far and away the best shooter in the world, and the fact that she was a woman was was a, complete, a side note. Yeah, complete side note. Totally. So, um, you know, it's easy to be inspired by a story like that. So the song is called Annie Oakley, and I love this song. It took me a long time to do this. Like, 
I wrote the song probably in 2016, uh, 20, yeah, 2016, which, you know, it's 2019 now. Right. It, there's, first of all, there's no time limit on when you're going to actually record and release a song. Uh, believe me. You yeah. can, like, you can have written a song 15 years ago and say, hey, you know what, that's really striking a chord with me now. I think I'm going to do that now. doesn't matter. Sure. So I wrote that song back then, and I always loved it from the day that we wrote it. I love this song and I knew it was going to be a thing for me. Um, it really meant a lot to me. And I think what's cool about it is lyrically, it's not a man hating song. It's none of that. It's not a revenge song. It's literally just, I can do anything that I want to do. I'm a strong, powerful person and I'm not going to take any crap from anybody. So don't mess with me. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> <shoot>. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't exactly say that, but I said that. Sure. <laughs> kind of, you know, I quote unquote said that, but didn't say it. You know, it's like, hey, here I am. This is what I do. I know that I'm awesome. I know I can do this. Don't mess with me, or you'll be sorry. <laughs> and I think that's like, you know, a lot of strong, a lot of songs currently and throughout history too. They're great songs, but the strong, empowered woman message is accompanied by revenge. Sure. Or scorn, woman scorned. This is like, this woman is not scorned. Right, this isn't I Will Survive. No, it, it's not. I mean, like, those songs are amazing. They have their place. But this is just, it's not the woman scorned revenge song. I didn't need someone, I didn't need to be victimized to, to uprise. Sure. As, as far as the messaging, you know? And, you know, if you really listen to it, it is actually about the music industry. <laughs> and, you know... There's usually more than You yeah. know, that's open to interpretation. It could be like, you know, you can listen to it and take it literally, or you could think, oh, maybe this is about the music industry. But, um, yeah, I love it. And so creatively, for me, as you know, I said that I wrote it way back when. I started working on it almost a year ago. I've toured so much that I get like five minutes at a time to oh, go oh yeah. ahead and work on what I'm doing. So I wish that I could say I went and I did an album in a week, but you know, over working on other projects and touring, it just wasn't possible. So it took me a long time to do it, but I'm really kind of grateful that it happened that way and that there was the time between when I wrote it and recorded it because it gave me the space to really make this creatively the vehicle to show everyone who I really am and how I want to sound and what my message is as a violinist, as a fiddle player, as a singer, as a songwriter. It's like, I am so happy with this song because I really think it embodies me creatively. And I don't know if I, if I would have went and recorded it in 2016 and would I have achieved that. Sure. So everything from the arrangement, there's two massive fiddle solos. It's just like, I, yeah. you know, you can't hear a fiddle on country radio to save your life right now. Right. You know, there's a couple songs and I was like, you know what? I don't care. Any, I don't care about that. A couple years ago, I was thinking to myself, I should probably, you know, listen to like what's popular and, you know, like, uh, you know, what if I want to get it on this or that? And then, Which totally goes I, against the message of the song. It totally goes against the message of the song. So, you know, over time I was like, if nobody hears this, I don't care. I want to do something. I want to be able to go to sleep at night 
and die one day knowing that I did creatively exactly what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I think I lost I, I lost that mindset where I was thinking, well, oh, it's people are doing this now. I don't care anymore. I just don't care. I want to make something that embodies me. Yeah. And people can do what they want. I'm totally. doing this. Yeah, I'm doing this. And really I'm so happy that I did it that way because I got exactly what I wanted. And I think that, I mean, we'll see whenever this podcast comes out and when the song comes out how successful it'll be. But I looked at myself and my situation and I thought, I can follow the rules uh, musically, lyrically, production-wise. It might have a little bump and be okay, but... It's not going to be successful. It's not going to be... Maybe for a week. I don't know. That's not the kind of thing that strikes people. If you want to if you want to be really successful, you have to really believe in what you've done. And I think people can hear that. Yeah. I think people can hear that in the song. And that this is who I am. Dang it. Dang and, it, and, yeah. And, and I think it comes through that there's no timidity... In the way that it was played, written, arranged, sang. No, there's not. And it's like, you know what? There's no fiddle on the radio. Put two. I need two massive solos. Yeah, we need to. We need to fix that. <laughs> we need to fix that. I don't care. You know, you have to. I just. I don't know if it's it's a, a shift in. If it just has always been this way, or if there's been a shift recently in music and the way people are consuming and producing. But I think authenticity is the best thing that you can have. It just is. I just can't imagine. I can't imagine that if I would have followed the rules and put out something, it would be any better than mediocre. And that, I mean, I could play quote unquote great. I could play all the notes. I could sing the song. It might be a good song, but I just can't imagine that. If it wasn't really what I wanted it to be, it would be anything better than okay. Well, it's way better than okay. So let's. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I love it. I love this. I think song. everybody else is going to love it too. And we're going to listen to it right now. So here it goes. We got Annie Oakley by Cassandra Sutton. <laughs> we had originally planned to bring you this tune in its entirety. However, due to issues beyond our control. The label is not quite ready to release this tune, so we're going to give you, our friends, a sneak preview. Here's a wee bit of Cassandra's upcoming single, Annie Oakley. I also want to talk to you about the realities of making a living 
in the music business in a mm -hmm. town like Nashville that is absolutely insanely oversaturated yeah. with incredible talent. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy bringing a pizza to your door on a Friday night is maybe the best guitar player you've ever met. Yeah, totally. So, yeah, talk about the realities of, of just being and in, in living in Nashville and, and, like, making a living in this town. Right. So the best thing to me about there's the best thing to me about Nashville is that there's there's a couple things. There is it is totally saturated with the most amazing people, the most amazing talents in the world live here. That's for sure. And there's a lot of people. Um, there's also a lot of gigs. There's a lot of work to be done. And there's a lot of people that are great to connect with. I think the problem with other cities is that there might not be uh, as many gigs, you know? Here, there's always something to do. And um, if you get out there and you meet people and you put, you put yourself out there and you're willing to go do things outside of your comfort, comfort zone as far as playing and stuff like that, there's work to be. There's work to be done. People like it when you show up yeah you know uh people want you to be enthused about what you're doing they want to know that you're going to do a good job every time and if you are bringing all of those things plus great playing to the table and you're willing to get out there and work for it you can find gigs that's for sure um I don't know if I would be able to make the living that I do living in another city mm. and be, get to play things that I like to play, you know, sure. um, just the sheer amount of work that I can do here is, is amazing. Um, but yeah, if you are the kind of person that shows up and does a good job, you have the ability to get ahead here because of the sheer amount of work. Sure. Um, also being in a place like this allows you to grow through those experiences. I don't think I could have performed as well on the, the Arajit Singh tour had I not been here for a couple years first, done a bus tour, done all the gigs that I've done. You know, it really gets like professional boot camp here. Sure. It really is. Um, and it's an amazing, it's an amazing playground for that it's it's a killer um the other thing about it is that and that i saw this in new york city in, in new york too with other musicians other artists most people are doing more more than the one thing that you see them doing almost everyone that's true you know i would love to in to get to a place in my career in the next couple years where I am so successful and busy at the one thing that I have to let some other other things go, but I am anticipating that it might not last that long like that, and I mean, that's like the ideal best case scenario that like, yes, like this, uh, this career move that I've made is really taking off and I don't have time to do the other things and it's okay because I'm making enough of a living to go ahead and do that, but... 90% of the time, other people, uh, and myself included, have so many irons in the fire, you just don't see them. Right. You know, whether it's like you're freelancing and you do 
gigs with five different bands and schedule yourself out plus sessions plus this. I, you know, or you have a side hustle, some sort of side business, lessons, or a part-time job, or whatever it is. There's always a lot more things going into the mix. And I think that's true for um, most entrepreneurs as well. For sure. Like, at least in the startup phase, you know, like that. Um, but freelance musicians, it's like, it's almost a an artist. And like frontmen and stuff like that, it's almost a necessity to have more than three streams of income. Sure. And, and none of that is, is failure. No, totally not. I feel like a rock star because, you know, I have, I bought a house four years ago and I have um, an Airbnb attached to it and I have people that rent from me. That's one of my side hustles. I feel like a rock star because I get to do that. Right. Like, totally. you, you know, it's, it's just the reality of how it is. Like, I'm a businesswoman. Well, and that's the thing in the music business. Um, and sometimes I wonder if maybe we shouldn't even put the word music second in, in a lot of ways that we look yeah. at it. It's um, the business side of it is so important. It is. I, I'm a businesswoman. If the, for, in order for me to spend the amount of time and money that I did on preparing my single and my other projects, I have to do a bunch of other side hustles. And I like it. Well, and a lot of it, too, is that you have to, even on the music side of that, you have to decide who you are and what you stand for and what your branding is. Right. You know, and when, when you say my name, I want a certain thing to pop into your head. So I have to make sure that all the things that I do are attached to my name in such a way that even if you don't know what I think my brand is, when you hear my name, I want what I think my brand is to be what you think my brand right. is. Right. Totally. For sure. And, um, and that know, doesn't happen by accident. No. Some people might get there naturally, but most people don't. You've got to put some time and effort into that. But, you know, like you said, I just want to go back to the point that you said that it's not failure. It's not failure that I have to have an Airbnb, like, in my house or whatever to help me sustain. It just means that I get to play less gigs that I don't want to play. Sure. You know? I, because I have this side hustle... I don't have to do 10,000 other things that I don't want to do, and I get to spend more time working on what I want to work on, which is an investment in myself. If people would look more at that perspective of their business as investing in themselves rather than wasting time or doing something that they don't want to do or calling themselves a failure because of it, I think a lot more people would be a lot more successful. Oh, agreed. You know. Agreed. So speaking of uh, strong women and surviving in the business and sort of this dog-eat-dog world um, or fish-eat-fish world, <laughs> how, how was that for a transition? Um, you've got another tune called Barracuda. Ooh, yeah. Right? That was mm. smooth when I just did it. That was smooth, Matt. Ooh. I was like, where's he going with this? <laughs> <laughs> that was killer. Um, yeah, so I, uh, I did this song... And I have, I just love heart and I love the song Barracuda. I also love instrumental rock. <laughs> it's like one of my side things that I just adore. <clears throat> I would love to have an instrumental rock band. Like actually, if you see me play, you will see me sing songs like Annie Oakley and you will also see instrumental rock. That's me and who I am and what I love to play. 
Um, I really love playing melody lines. I like to take songs that have incredible melodies and make them awesome on violin, fiddle, or electric violin. Uh, that's a creative passion of mine. It's significantly more challenging than people think it is. Oh, man. You know, it's you totally see the violin covers on YouTube, and you're like, oh, God, another violin cover. Because so many people do it badly. It's, oh, yeah. oh, I can just play this, because how many pop songs are literally two notes in oh, the melody, yeah. right? You just play the notes. But it, it's a whole different thing to be able to express emotion yeah. the way a singer does, and you don't have the benefit of lyrics. Totally. Totally. It's a totally different skill. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's such a challenge. You know, you're right. There is so much content out there, and it's just crap. I'm not sorry to say that. You're not wrong. <laughs> I am not wrong, and I am not sorry. It's like, have some... You have, to, you have to really connect with what you're playing. You should connect with what you're playing, whether it has lyrics or not. True. That's just... That's just you should. That's just the truth. And then, you know, really focusing in on your performance in your arrangement and taking that time to be in the moment and feel what it is that the song is actually trying to say and then trying to say that again without the words is a challenge, but it's worth it. It's really cool. And that's what I aimed to do when I recorded Barracuda. I just loved the song. And you know, once you start doing stuff like this, you'll hear rock, pop, whatever songs that have amazing melodies. You'll hear melodies different. I you can do so much with this song. It's just killer. It doesn't even it doesn't need the words. But if you uh you know really work on it and study it and think, how are you going to say what you want to say with it? It's got it. It's got everything that you need to make a killer rock track. Like, I'm just so happy with this song. It's a great song. Yeah, it's incredible. And, you know, I I love the violin. I love the electric violin. I have a seven-string uh, fretted viper. And it allows me so much room to communicate. You can do so many different things with that. I know that probably a lot of listeners have one or like have experienced one or seen one at least but of course I can play the guitar parts I can play melody parts I can play the voice parts you know the vi the violin is almost the same as the human voice it's right there in the pocket with that stuff so the amount of different ways I can communicate using that instrument is just insane all of the whole vocabulary is there. You have to be willing to go learn it and find it and use it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> so let's listen to Barracuda. Again, just a preview, but here is Cassandra's version of Barracuda.
here that I used for the Airjeet Sang gig was, I, I have a Fishman V400 mm -hmm. pickup on my violin. I've been using Fishman pickups since I was probably 12 years old. <laughs> there, um, I've always had that Fishman. Um, I've actually upgraded the pickup that I've had since I was 12, so, you know, <laughs> it's still work. It's not know, this tired it's not old the, pickup. It's not the same one. I've, I've upgraded throughout time, but I started using their pickup when I was probably 12. Um, I have the receipt, the original receipt from the violin shop in Nashville, actually. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding you. I, I couldn't find the receipt from my lunch an hour ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily my mom kept it, and then, you know, Fishman, I have a really great relationship with Fishman. Uh, they are. They take great care of me. I love their gear. I love playing for them. Um, it's. I'm. You know. I've been using it since I was twelve. Sure. So you know, it's great. So I'm. You know, I found the receipt and I sent it to them. So I thought it was funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, so. I'd like my money back. Just... Can I have my money back? <laughs> it's a little. Can I return this? <laughs> what's the window for? What's the return window on this? <laughs> it's like nineteen ninety nine or something. Yeah. Um, I use the Fishman pickup, and then I also use the Fishman Pro, uh, uh, Platinum Pro. Yep. Pro Platinum. Platinum Pro. Yeah. DI. It's one, it's one of those. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can see it right here. Yeah, me head. too. Yeah. Pro Platinum. They know what I mean. One or the other. Google one or the other. <laughs> those two <laughs> You'll words. find it. Um, as a, a direct line, and then I also have the mic. That, the. The DPA. Yeah, yep. exactly. And so they blended that sing signal for front of house, and then I had mostly DI in my ears. Sure. Because the whole the whole gig is completely in ears. Right. The whole thing. You'd almost have to with that many there's people no on stage. If there's if there's amps blasting around on stage, there's no you'd way. Be sunk. Yeah. yeah, totally. There's no way. So yeah, that's what I use for that gig. Um, that's what I use for every gig. If I. Um, Sometimes I'll use the effects chain and put a little uh, TC Electronic uh, Hall of Fame mm -hmm. reverb on it. Um, but, you know, for for this store in particular, they said, straight signal, we're going to do the reverb for you right. in the front. We've got 200 inputs. We'd like to have some continuity. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, that's what I use all the time. That's me. That's my fiddle. I've been playing the same fiddle since I was nine. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is my violin. I recently heard somebody say that you can spend your whole life learning how to play the violin, but you actually spend your whole life learning how to play a violin. That's right. <laughs> it's true. And because of my job at EVS, I have to play a dozen different violins a day. Yeah. What is that like for you? So I mean, look, obviously, like I right. have had the same one since I was nine. So I, I don't switch it up quite often. So it's like being a valet driver. It's like you, you know, if, if you're if you work as a valet, and you've driven thirty different cars today, you can get into a car that you've never driven, and you can find the gear shift on that car pretty quick. Right. Because you just get so used to driving different ones. But I will say that the one like, and these are all like every one of these violins that I play every day is like an acquaintance. Interesting. But the violin that I have a relationship with is the one that's hanging on my wall at my house. Yeah. That's amazing. So... How often do you play it? Is she's that, is that cool, your... though. She doesn't care if I mess around with other uh, violins. Oh, man. She's hip. 
Um, I've had feelings of guilt like that before. <laughs> Is that weird? <laughs> like if I have to play, I I have I've had my Viper for I guess eleven years now, and I have now I have an amazing violin in addition to the Viper. Uh, I have the Legend. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have one of the first three legends. I remember I, seeing a picture of you that. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that violin so much. Isn't it cool? It's almost Actually, like halfway between your acoustic and the viper. Totally. Right? It's yeah. oh my god, it's an amazing instrument. Joe Domjan is just the master luthier of my life. I just got to <laughs> hang out with him last week. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's right. He was at camp. I'm yeah. so sad. I miss him. He's such a special person in my life. Um, I think I actually have the fourth one because there was the prototype. Right. And then Allison Montez, Katie Jacoby, and I all have the first. Okay. We have the first three legends. See, I played the prototype. You did? Okay, yeah. so you. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> You're on top of all of us, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm slightly behind all of you. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but yeah, like throughout time, I've had gigs, uh, random one off gigs, where I have to go and play the instrument that they provided, like something corporate, for example. Sure. I felt so guilty, man. Seriously? I felt guilty. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a weird emotional person. That's funny. Yeah. Oh, gets my Viper. I love my Viper. I love my Viper. I love my acoustic violin so much. I just love them. So my acoustic hardly ever leaves the house, but it's the one that I got when I was a little kid, like 128 years ago. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's the one I got when I was a kid, and I've got a relationship with that instrument. I know how to make that instrument do what I want it to do. Amazing. Yeah. Do you record with it? I do. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but then I, I've had five Vipers. So the one I'm touring with now I've only had for a year. Wow. Yeah, I have just my baby. Yeah. I just keep... I get Collecting. Bored. I get bored. <laughs> yeah. Like, you can't have too many violins. No. It's funny. I have, like... I also play mandolin and a little bit of guitar. I have far more mandolins and guitars than I have violins. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, I love my violins. I think part of it is, is too, is like the price of a good violin. Oh yeah, the last time I played another violin that I like, I mean, I haven't gone violin shopping. I, ha I do have a backup. I bought a much less expensive backup uh, for crazy gigs or like yeah. just emergencies. And that's, it's a suitable instrument. It's okay. It's right. just okay for me. The last time I played a violin that I wanted to buy more than the violin that I have right now, it was $14,000. Right. And what am I going to... I was like a teenager at that time. Which is why we don't... And then I haven't, I haven't yeah. shopped since then. Right. <laughs> you know? So, it's difficult. It's difficult to be a violin or an electric violin collector, especially whenever... What the vi the electric violins that I like are seven string vipers, right? You know, and hey, five grand. How many of these do you want? Right. Yeah. And the last time I got a, I played an acoustic fiddle that I liked more than mine. It was fourteen thousand dollars. What am I supposed? To I can't do that. Right. So, luckily, I love everything I have. Yeah. So, what do you, you generally mostly play with your acoustic? I guess in Nashville, it's there's in probably Nashville, this, playing this my thing acoustic. where they're like, if you show up with a Viper, they're like, uh, that's cool. We wanted a fiddle player. Yeah, totally. Well, no, people see my thing with Viper is that I love it so much. I love the sounds that I produce with it. I love playing it. But if you aren't, if the client or the band or whatever it is doesn't want that, 
I'm not going to do it. You don't want to force it down somebody's no. throat. I'm not going to force it down somebody's throat. And I'm also not going to use it to play. I'm not going to use it in a way that it, it's not intended to be used. That's my other thing about it. I'm not going to spend... I don't know. I, I'm not going to spend all my time trying to make this sound like my fiddle. I don't... For me, personally, I know the instrument and how I want to use it and work with it and what it will provide to the mu- to the mu- musicality of the song. And I don't I don't push it either way. Right. You're not you're not trying to force a, a round peg into a square. No, totally not. Yeah. Cuz they are le- they are legitimately different instruments. Totally. Yeah. Totally different instruments. Um, you know, and I think that that's like from from a production and musicality and and live performance perspective, you have to you have to play to the setting and you have to play to the song. And people forget that sometimes, I think. They just want to use every cool thing that they have. You have to, you are a servant. You are a servant of the song. Wiser words have never been spoken. You know, that's play to the song. And, uh, that's, that's why I don't use it all the time. Yeah. I mean, well, and it sounds like you're a person who's actually a working musician in in the business, (laughs) right? Because that's so many people forget that it's not about you. It's Mm -mm. about the song. No, it's not about you. It's about the song. It's about the audience. It's, it is so, you spend most of your life practicing and learning and studying and sharpening your skills. And that's about you. And the end result has nothing to do with you. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it's funny because we're, you know, musicians are seen as all these egotistical people and, and they are. it does Some take are. it takes a certain amount of ego to step onto a stage in front of 40,000 people of course it does but that ego has to it has to serve a thing other than you completely and that's when it becomes a really beautiful thing I think an impactful a positively impactful thing We're going to enjoy some more Tony Harnell and the Wildflowers in a minute. But first, I want to talk about our sponsor, Electric Violin Shop. Cassandra's a world traveler, and she can tell you that there's no place anywhere in the world like Electric Violin Shop. EVS carries instruments by over 20 different manufacturers from Brazil, Australia, India, Italy, France, the UK, Bulgaria, the US, Canada, Japan, and more. EVS ships to 90 countries. They have customers on every continent, including Antarctica. Yes, a scientist at the South Pole bought a violin from EVS. Why? Because EVS has more selection, more expertise, and more experience than any place you can buy an electric violin. Unlike some places where the employees wouldn't know a B-flat string from a B-sting, when you call EVS, you'll talk to someone who actually plays electric strings. When you buy an instrument from EVS, it's been set up by a luthier and played by a professional electric violinist before it leaves the shop. And if you are one of the rare customers who has a problem after the sale, EVS will go to bat for you with the manufacturer, doing everything in their power to get the issue resolved to your satisfaction. Go to electricviolinshop.com today to find your next instrument, bow, amp, or piece of gear. Now I can sing the blues and never give in mm-hmm. Sing the blues and get up again 
So the sound that I use in studio for the Viper is like this ever-evolving thing. I've recorded fiddle and acoustic violin a lot. I haven't actually recorded Viper in studio that many times, and I think it takes a lot more experimentation um, than like, you know, there's like tried and true ways to record an acoustic violin. This is a new experimental instrument, basically. This is like a new frontier when it comes to that. And getting the tone that you really like is, you know, a lot of personal... It's like 99% personal preference. Sure. And then figuring out the way to get that. First of all, you have to know what you like and don't like. That takes a while, as far as your tone. Indeed. And then you have to be able to spend the time figuring out how to achieve that. And so I'm really happy with my tone and everything in this Bid Barracuda track. I was able to do um, some experimentation with that and tweaking. And actually, Hayden Viterra and I worked together on this track in a studio in Austin with some friends of his. Um, so Hayden's playing the guitar. Oh, perfect. Hayden's the guitar player on the on the track. And then actually, you'll hear some EDM. Like, it's not, Sorry, it's not EDM. I'm such a hillbilly. It's like <laughs> techno stuff. I don't know what sure. is it called. What do you call that? It's like there's like synth stuff that yeah, comes I in and the red beeps and boops, beeps yeah. and boops and stuff. They come in and then that was produced by one of my colleagues and a uh, great friend of mine uh, in India from okay. Arjit's band. Awesome. So the circle, yeah. circle widens. Uh, so, anyways, actually, if you want to get technical about the way that I get my tone in live settings, I'm actually have recently stopped using an amp. I actually just use um, my Fishman DI. I have another Fishman DI for it. And like my quote-unquote signature sound or whatever is the TC Electronic Mojo Mojo pedal. Oh, okay. And the a combination of that and the Spark Plug Booster. Spark Boost? What? TC Electronic. Spark Boost? Spark Plug. I call it the Spark Plug, but I don't think that's what it's called. You know what I'm talking about? Well, you're the star. You call it what you want to call it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it does have a name, <laughs> and some in the Hall of Fame. And I use a combination of the clean boost on the Fishman, the the uh, Spark boost with a little bit of gain, and that Mojo Mojo pedal always with reverb. And I go direct into the to the like right now. I this maybe will change next week. You never know. Sure. I've been wanting to try out that rig with an acoustic amp. Um, I'll go directly into the PA with that. But the way that I recorded that was we did a splitter and I went direct Viper to a Marshall amp mm -hmm. and then the other line threw that rig directly into the board and then we blended them probably about 60-40 or something like that sure. to get a more broad range of tone and color I thought it was really it was really cool getting to experiment with all that it's a lot of fun playing with gear yeah I love it I mean, I don't have that many pedals. I just told you my entire chain. I have some distortion pedals that I have at home, too, but this is generally what I use. And uh, this is, like, kind of an unpopular opinion to have um, when it comes to gearheads and electric violinists and electric guitar players, but I think that less is more and that you should be able to say what you want to say with just, like, two or three pedals, two or three sounds. You know, I, I know that there's... It, there are some situations, and experiment, especially in experimental... I'm not saying don't experiment or anything like that. But if you aren't, like, able to say, uh, make a message with what you're saying and the way you play with, like, 
It's 37 petals. I think maybe you need to work on, like, your phrasing or your musicality. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? For sure. It's an, that's an unpopular opinion to hold, but that's that's how I approach it. I know Guitar Center's going to hate that opinion. Guitar Center's not going to like that. They're not going to put me, they're not going to put me in the ad after I said that. <laughs> but yeah, I just like, that's what I use. I just have like a couple, t- a couple sounds and I'm naturally a very gr- aggressive player. I do a lot of effects with bow, with left and right hand while I'm playing. And sure. I think that's probably why I don't use more pedals and stuff. Um, Ross and I were actually talking about that uh, today, that, or, uh, or today or last night, that it's not just about kicking the pedal and expecting no. the pedal to do the work. You actually have to do something too. You have to spend a lot of time learning how to work with a specific pedal to get the tone that, and the phrasing and the sounds and effects that you want. 100% true. And uh, I think maybe that's how people end up with like 37 of them, just kicking them on and off and kicking them on and off like you have to it's in the hands you still have to play you still have to play Eh, so yeah I don't use a whole lot of sounds I'm gonna get a wah pedal I guess Mm, I do love a wah pedal yeah I kind of do that with my left hand though yeah I mean there's so many things that you can do as a player right that's and I tend to do more of that with harmonics and 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 slides and just a lot of a lot it's for me a lot of left hand stuff that makes effects for me. Like I just told you if you listen to the Barracuda track you'll hear lots of different kind of uh colors in in effects in the playing. It's all I just told you the chain. It's nothing right. special in the chain, it's left hand stuff. So like depending on the player to actually play, that's the weirdest thing ever. Yeah, totally. Um but yeah, I love it. Always experimenting. You know, I think part of the reason, there's two reasons that I ended up with that perspective and, like, I guess the ability to do that. I talked about this on another interview, but my mother encouraged me to play melodies and songs the way that the singers play them and not just, like, play the notes beautifully like the violin. So I was always, like, from a young age, I was incorporating more experimentation in the approach of the execution of playing simple things. Mm-hmm. And and I, ha- I had an acoustic violin then. Right. You know, so you've got to make, you've, you've got to experiment more and go out of the box in your tones and execution more so than if you're just, like, playing, intending to play beautiful classical violin. Sure. Which is really cool. And the other thing is, one of the teachers at Mark O'Connor's camp was Rachel Barton Pine, who is a master at that, you know. And she showed us all kinds of things. When I, I met her when I was nine, and I was just totally obsessed. She taught the first rock song I ever learned was Paranoid. Awesome. From Rachel. I went home after camp and played that song all day and all night, like at home. My mom will not listen to it now. <laughs> my mom hates that song so Overload. much. Yeah. I just was like, I was like nine in my parents' living room. It's like all day long. Can you imagine like listening to a nine-year-old playing that on the fiddle for like hours at a time? That song's pretty repetitious. If That's you listen my mom's, to it once. <laughs> That's my mom's yeah. life. She hated it. 
It was worth it. It's worth it in the end, but she hated it. I loved that song, man. I was like, this is so cool. It's so raw, yeah. It's so raw. It's so cool. But Rachel teaches you all that left-hand kind of stuff, like, you know, using uh, left-hand pressure for harmonics and, and wide vibrato, small vibrato, and uh, that aggressive different ways to make effects on the acoustic violin that you maybe would would do with an electric violin but if you don't have one she taught that same class at yeah. March camp this year and was was even getting into to getting distortion with right hand techniques totally yeah. exactly and so i learned that from her when i was nine and i've i love that it's one of my favorite things to do awesome it's no good for guitar center but it's good for me right yeah <laughs> well i do the same thing and I, I am a little bit of a gearhead but i, I do even when i'm running through distortion Sometimes you want a little more boost. Totally. And, and I could reach down and kick a pedal and do it, or but that's on or louder. off, right? The pedal's either on or off. I can get, I can get exactly the amount of bite that I want for sure with my right hand, yeah. Rather than kicking a pedal and getting however much I had it set for. Yeah, totally, totally. I love it. The violin, the electric violin, and particularly the acoustic violin too. Such a dynamic instrument probably the most dynamic instrument right possible and, and as a sound guy it's, it's too dynamic yeah so that's what compressors are for but we just no don't tell the artist that. about that no. don't worry we're not compressing you to death don't worry oh my gosh
Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Have you got more writing projects in the hopper right now? Yeah. So I have, like, I, f I focused on Annie Oakley as a first single for a couple of reasons. Since it was my first, like, my first foray into frontman solo artist, solo career, here I am as a singer-songwriter, not just a fiddle player. Right. Um, I decided to focus all of my efforts and energies on the one song for a couple of reasons. Because I do believe that it is a singles market. Like, you can put out a single in a video and then a single in a video. Sure. Um, it was more financially feasible for me to do it that way. And then also, I really needed to hone in on what I sound like as that person. I mean, I had all these visions in my head. I had, you know, I think I knew, I think I know what it is. I think I hear it. I need to make it come out. And as I said earlier, it is, to me, a perfect representation of that style for me. Um, I wanted to be able to take that to the next producer, to the next writing session, to the next, the next, the next, the next, the next, sure. right? Because up, in, up until that point when that song was finished, I could just tell somebody right. what I was like and what I, you know, it was really difficult to communicate that without this first thing. Now that I have that, I can maybe like get funding or, uh, you know, be able to show producers and agents and managers and stuff what I really am, not just an idea. Sure. So I started with the one thing. I have the next song that I'm going to follow up with. Um, like sort of, I wrote it a while ago too, not as long ago, but I have, I think decided on a, a follow up single. I'm going to start working on that recording it pretty soon, actually kind of like pre-production sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's just so much easier now that I have, I can say, this is who I am. This is what I sound like. This is what I like. This is the vibe. This is the aggressiveness. This is the message. And then go from there. Sure. Different songs and everything, but yeah, I'm I'm continuing. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. So where can people find you and find more of your stuff? Everywhere. <laughs> you can find me everywhere. Coming to a city near you. Um, I have all the usual suspects, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Um, I'm always at Cassandra Sotos. Always. Because you're smart. You know, if you want to talk about your career, about the violin, about the music industry, please don't hesitate to actually message me personally. If I can help, I will. If I can talk, I will. Um, my email is on my website, CassandraSotos.com. Perfect. People can always reach out to me. You're not one of those aloof superstars. Oh, you play I'm a superstar. Stadium gigs all I'm over the world. I'm a superstar, but I'm just not, not aloof. Not aloof. That's right. I am a superstar, but not aloof. Absolutely. I am there for you. Perfect. <laughs> You're everybody's own personal superstar. Totally. That's, that's <laughs> the way to be, right? That's that's the only way. My mom, I'm a, I am my mom's superstar. There you go. My Everybody cats love me too. My, my cats love me too. <laughs> I feel like a superstar. I feel like a superstar when I get to do stuff like this. So there thank you. you. Thank you, Matt, for inviting me to be well, on. Well, thanks for coming over. The Rockstar Violin Podcast. Hanging out and 
Ross's living room. Ross I love provides for everybody in Nashville. I know, Ross is the bomb. We love Ross. And thus ends our chat with Cassandra Sotos. Please check out her website, CassandraSotos.com, and find her on social media. She's a great follow, and you won't regret it. Our next episode is going to be really special. I got a chance to hang out with our next rock star violinist at a huge show in Raleigh a couple weeks ago, and we squeezed in a quick chat in my kitchen between an afternoon of shredding and his sound check. So be sure to subscribe so you get a notice when this next episode comes out. We'll see you in a few weeks with another rock star violinist. Rock star violinist.